Welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you again today. My name is Jason Dexter. We are continuing our study in the book of Daniel. Today we are in Daniel chapter 5. This passage is about the very famous passage in Daniel that is the handwriting on the wall and the fall of the Babylonian kingdom. In this passage, we will see just how dark the times were that Daniel lived in and how he as a light shone in the middle of the darkness. It'll be a great reminder to us because we also live in a dark time as well. And God calls us to shine as light. So if you want to be encouraged in your faith to shine as a light, to boldly stand up for and to speak out the truth in the midst of a dark and a pagan culture, then I hope that this Bible study will encourage you to do just that. Let's start in on Daniel 5. We'll read verses 1 through 4. Discuss that first. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousands. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So what you don't see in this passage is that there were armies outside the city. The Medo-Persian army encircled the city and were laying siege to it. So while their enemies were outside invading, Belshazzar seems oblivious with little care for the goings-on outside the city walls. Now Babylon was famous for its massive and seemingly impregnable walls. It was said to have 20 years of food and water supply. So this feast was probably partly due to Belshazzar's arrogance and thinking that they were invincible. No one can come through these walls. We have plenty of food to last for 20 years. We'll just wait it out and eventually the invading armies will leave. Maybe also this feast was used to boost morale and to defy the Persians. Well, Belshazzar would have been better served by supervising the city defenses. But we see in him uh, a lot of the same pride that Nebuchadnezzar had before Nebuchadnezzar finally repented. Now, who is this figure, King Belshazzar? Now, this is a very interesting figure. I've done a bit of study about him. For a long time, skeptics dismissed the the biblical account of Daniel. And one reason they did so was they said, look, this figure Belshazzar, There's nothing known about him. There's nothing recorded about him anywhere outside of the Bible. So this is a very unreliable history of this account. In fact, they say Belshazzar wasn't even the king at this period in time. Other historical records say a guy named Nabonidus was king. Not one single other record mentioned Belshazzar. So critics had found their ammunition and they were ready to attack the Bible. Now the book of Daniel has always had a target on its back even more than other books in the Bible. Because in this book, Daniel made several prophecies about world events in astonishing detail. They came true. So critics, they wanted to undermine the biblical date of the authorship of Daniel and say it couldn't have been written back then when it was claimed to have been written. It must have been written hundreds and hundreds of years in the future after these prophecies came true and they weren't actually prophecies. They were just a record of history. So critics 
had good reason to try to undermine the biblical date of authorship of Daniel and make it much later. If they could cast doubt on Daniel's credibility, they could explain away these prophecies as coming after the fact. But actually, Daniel's account, the only account from any historical record of that for, for up until 1854, Daniel's account was the only one, and it was verified through archaeology. And so their attacks against the Bible were thwarted, and actually Daniel's account came out to be more credible and more reliable than other historical accounts, and to be very, very accurate. Two important artifacts were discovered in 1854. They are called the Nabonidus Cylinder and the Nabonidus Tablet. Now these verify the biblical account. One of these artifacts records Nabonidus' prayer to a moon god. And in this record, he prays for Belshazzar, the eldest son, my offspring. Now on the other, it's recorded that Nabonidus left Babylon for a decade and left his son as the crown prince and entrusted the kingship to his oldest son, the firstborn. Thus, Nabonidus would not have been in Babylon at the time of the Persian invasion. So, these historical artifacts show that Nabonidus did have a son. His name was Belshazzar, and he was actually entrusted with the kingship in Babylon while Nabonidus went elsewhere. So, Belshazzar was something like a regent king or a co-king with Nabonidus, but he would have actually been sitting on the throne of Nabonidus, most likely. Now, it's no wonder that later in this passage, we see that Belshazzar is making Daniel the third highest, the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Normally, they would say, oh, I'll make you the second highest, you're second only to me, but Belshazzar couldn't do that because Nabonidus was king along with Belshazzar. So, Daniel could only go up to third highest in ranking. Now, if Daniel had been written hundreds of years later, as critics claim, it is highly doubtful that he would have known about this mysterious historical figure. Daniel is a historically accurate book because he was there. His prophecies were predictions of the future inspired by God. Now, skeptics will always seek to attack the veracity of God's word. And when one attack fails, they'll go on to the next. It's a never-ending cycle. So when it was discovered that, in fact, Daniel's account is correct and is amazingly accurate in its historical detail, the critics didn't say, oh, we're wrong. They would just roll over and then find some new attack to try to make against God's word. The Bible outlasts all of these attacks. Now, time and time again, archaeology has confirmed various biblical accounts. Now, that's not to say that everything in the Bible is proven. There will always be things in the Bible that cannot be proven through other historical records or archaeology. These events occurred thousands of years ago. And it's not surprising that we don't have proof for all of these things that happened so long ago. It's hard to find those things in the ground. But our faith need not be shaken when doubts are raised about Scripture because it's proven itself to be reliable. Now, maybe in our lifetimes, more and more evidence will come out which uncovers the truth and buffers the Bible against more attacks. And it may be that certain things remain unknown. But in either case, the Bible has proven itself to be reliable and we can have faith even in areas where there's no immediate answer. Let's make that a little bit easier to understand, this, this idea, this theory. 
Now, put another way, you don't need to verify every word of your friend from another source in order to trust your friend. So, for example, if your friend tells you that he went and ate at McDonald's yesterday, you wouldn't say, show me the proof. I need a video camera evidence that you were, in fact, at McDonald's or I will not believe you. Because if your friend has established credibility with you and that he's told you the truth before many times, you will naturally believe that when he tells you he went to McDonald's for lunch yesterday, that, in fact, he did. So, the Bible has proven itself to be credible and trustworthy. There are some things we don't have video evidence for, but yet we can trust that it is reliable. Uh, that aside, yes, took a, a minute away from the Bible study, but I feel it's, it's very, very important for us to realize that the Bible is accurate and the archaeology confirms that fact. So I'm fascinated with this character of Belshazzar, who is unknown to the academic world before 1854. Okay, so Belshazzar, what is he like? Well, he defies the true God. Now, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar had been an influence, but it seems that he's showing he wants no part of this Hebrew God. It wasn't enough for him to ignore God through his lifestyle, through his actions. He specifically calls for the vessels that had been taken from the temple. He says he commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar's father had taken out of the temple be brought. So he says, I want the vessels from the God of the Jews' temple. I want them to be brought here. This was calculated and planned as a ritual symbolic of his defiance of God. He wanted to show his contempt for the Lord. It's a foolish thing. It's like a kid who's dared to light firecrackers on somebody's porch. All the kids nervously watch, wondering if he can do it. Finally, he does it and runs away. All of them laugh at the joke until later the owner of the house comes and catches them. Now, Belshazzar is very arrogant. He should have been concerned with the city's defenses and praying to God for help, but instead he was throwing a party with the express purpose of taunting God. Now, these vessels were eventually returned to Jerusalem. God has the last laugh. You can see that in Ezra chapter 1, verses 7 through 11. So, they are taking these things, and it says that they are praising the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. People are spiritual and religious by nature. No one worships nothing. If someone doesn't worship the true God, they will worship something else. Maybe money. Maybe self, maybe a pagan religion, maybe strength or power, but they will most definitely worship something. Romans 1, 21-23 says, Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. People substitute idols in place of God because they don't want God's authority. They want to be free. They want to be independent to do whatever they like without anyone telling them what to do. They want to have their cake and eat it too, so to speak. They want a God to comfort them, to bless them, to protect them, to have hope that there's heaven or something after death. 
And some people actually don't believe in God and still say they believe in heaven, however that works. But they don't want to have a God that they have to obey. That's the case with Belshazzar here. Let's go forward, verses 5 through 9, the handwriting on the wall. It says, Immediately, or some translations say, Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His color changed and his lords were perplexed. So, suddenly, immediately, at the height of Belshazzar's pride and defiance, God sends his judgment. Defiance of God never ends well, does it? Just when the king thought everything was going great, he was surprised. God intervenes. Now, it often appears that the wicked will go unpunished and get away with their evil. Sometimes they do for a while. But eventually, and often suddenly, God's judgment will fall, and it will be too late to avoid it. Psalm 73, 17 is about Asaph. Uh, he's writing and he's asking God, God, why do the wicked prosper? And why do they seem that everything goes well with them? And he's confused by it. And then he goes into the temple to meditate and he reads this, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin, how they are destroyed in a moment. He realizes that these people who seem to be going well, everything seems to be smooth in their life, will one day face judgment. And God's judgment will be swift. And this is true. One day... Every person will face God as the judge and will have to give an account for everything he's done. The security and their riches will prove to be short-lived. It's not real security at all. While their lives seem smooth and easy, destruction comes upon them in a moment. Now Asaph's description reminds us of Jesus' parable of the rich fool who built bigger and bigger storehouses for all of his stuff. And he, he looked out, ah, and he was very content with all of the things that he had. And God says, you fool. It's done. Tonight it's over. You're going to face me. Are you ready? Only a life built on the rock of Christ is safe and is sound. You know the children's song, to build your life on the rock. And that song is very simple, but it's very true. When we build our life on the sand of riches and this world, then it will collapse suddenly. So don't be jealous of the wicked or their lives or what they own. They and what they have will perish in the end. Now what we see here is the handwriting on the wall. It's the fingers of a human hand. And as soon as he saw that, Belshazzar's bluster was gone. The, mu the miracle terrified him. All the blood is draining from his face and his hands and his limbs are, are shaking. From his reaction, we can see that all the bravado is gone. Just a, a cover to hide actually his insecurity and his fear. I believe deep inside he knew God was real. 
Now, in I think similar manner, the bluster of the loudest atheists is an attempt to bury the truth they know to be true. They are created by God. Voltaire was a famous atheist and he spent his whole life blaspheming God and almost on every letter he would write, he signed something blasphemous about God and dared God to strike him down. And the day of his death was just a pitiful, sorrowful, terrible thing as he was confronted with the choices he'd made. He knew what he had done. He knew he was going to face God and he was absolutely terrified. Belshazzar had likely heard the stories of God's miracles in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. But he didn't humble himself and he didn't seek after God. Now in the text it says uh, Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, son or the Nebuchadnezzar was his father. Actually the word used means something like ancestor. It could be used to mean father or grandfather or great grandfather. So in fact Belshazzar was a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar but not his direct son. And that word is often used in the Bible that way in genealogies as well. So here we see, wow, he was so frightened at what was about to happen that he didn't understand what was going on in front of him. And he turns to the same ones his father often turned to. He turns to the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. They were no help, uh, just as we wouldn't expect them to be of any help. And they were not. Uh, they couldn't help his Nebuchadnezzar and they couldn't help him either. Verse 7, he promises a lot of reward. He says, whoever can interpret it will be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. This was the system they dealt with. People did favors for the king because they wanted rewards or were afraid of punishment. And threats of punishment, promises of compensation are the tools used by this world. Even this didn't help. The wise men were puzzled. They couldn't figure it out. It says that his lords were perplexed. The world's wisdom is blind when it comes to the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. These guys didn't know God. They couldn't offer any help whatsoever about God's message. So we need to always remember to turn to the right place for help and for counsel. Turn to godly believers, not to this world. Let's go forward. We will see the queen suggests Daniel. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. The queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Many years have passed since the events of Daniel chapter 1 through 4, and it appears that Daniel's position is much less prominent than in the past. However, a queen knows about Daniel and recommends him to the king. This queen may have been a young wife of Nebuchadnezzar or maybe his daughter. Uh, it was probably not Belshazzar's wife. 
Now, Belshazzar wasn't Bel, uh, sorry, Nebuchadnezzar was not Belshazzar's direct father. Here, father again is a term used for ancestor. It's often used that way in scripture. Now, it seems somehow that when Belshazzar's administration took over, Daniel wasn't a significant part of it. Belshazzar maybe even purged Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom of the positive influences for the Most High, such as Daniel. We see that he clearly is very antagonistic toward the Lord. Maybe he even reversed some of the decrees Nebuchadnezzar had made which promoted worship of the Most High God. His attitude in general shows a total defiance toward the Lord. So in this atmosphere, Daniel would not have been welcome. So whatever role Daniel has, it's seemingly much less than what he had before. But his influence had profoundly impacted many people, including this queen. She remembered him and she remembered all the encounters that he had had with Nebuchadnezzar. So here's some fruit of Daniel's ministry. Many, many years later, probably decades later, we see that there is still fruit which remains from the ministry that Daniel had done in Babylon because he was faithful to speak the truth in a dark place. So, let's go forward. Verse 13 through 16. This is about the king asking Daniel to interpret the writing. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king of my father brought from Judah. I've heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So Belshazzar uses rewards to try and motivate Daniel. This was a window into his heart. Wealth and luxury and power, these were all important to him. So it's natural that this would come out in his reward offers to others. He thinks others will be motivated by the same things. And he says you can even be third highest ruler in the kingdom. Let's see how Daniel responds. And again, I love this. I love that Daniel, every time he's, he comes onto the big stage, he uses it as an opportunity to tell about the Lord, even unasked for most of the time. Verse 17, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. 
and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not hear or see or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. Okay, and we'll go forward in just a minute. So first we see that Daniel says, let your gifts, you keep them. Okay, I don't want them. Daniel, like Abraham before, refused to take gifts. And his refusal demonstrated that the materials and rewards were not important to him. He wasn't like the others. He wasn't motivated by the same thing. He was there just to give a message. He wasn't in the in the pay, like saying, I'm going to take pay and I'm going to give you a good uh, a good." message or good news. I'm just going to tell the truth. And then he took the opportunity to preach. Now at this point, Daniel was probably around 85 years old. He was an old man and had seemingly been away from the king's court for a long time. The scene around him was wild revelry. The ruler before him was unstable and unhinged. Belshazzar held the Lord in outright contempt a dangerous situation with a drunk, powerful, lunatic ruler in front of him. One wrong word could condemn Daniel to the king's fury. But Daniel wasn't phased. He had had a lifestyle of speaking the truth boldly, without fear. Instead of cowering again, he takes advantage of this great opportunity to preach to the king and by extension the entire court. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So is this in season or out of season? I mean, it looked to be out of season. It didn't look to be the time when the king wants to be preached to. But on the other hand, he needed something. And this was the time that God gave to Daniel. It was an opportunity. And so Daniel took it. And so there's an application for us here. Be bold. You never know when you'll have an opportunity to share the gospel with others. You never know when that door will open. But we should look for those opportunities and when they come, take advantage of them. Speak the truth of God into others' lives. No stage is too big and no stage is too small. Now Daniel, he also reviewed the history of God's work in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He talks about uh, Nebuchadnezzar in verse 20 and 21, how he was prideful. And then because he was prideful, then God humbled him and turned him into like a wild animal for a period of time. That's you can learn more about in Daniel chapter 4. So this is an oral review of the lessons that God had taught to the Babylonians through the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And the highlight, though, of his preaching is found in verse 22 and 23. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And then he talks about how he brought in the vessels to desecrate them. Wow. Talk about boldness. Daniel holds no punches. To paraphrase this message, Daniel tells the ruler who has power seemingly over his life, he says, you are prideful and rebellious and wicked. For over 70 years, Daniel was faithful to serve as God's messenger. He did so in a dark and a dangerous place with little care for his own life. Now through it all, God protected him. 
We are called to shine the light. We are called to be truth speakers. We are called to be bold, to give God's message to a dark world that needs it. What a great example from Daniel here and one that I hope we will all learn from as well. Let's go forward to the conclusion of this passage, verses 25 through 29. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. So how, what does this mean? This mene, mene, tekel, and parson. Daniel says it means God has numbered the days of your kingdom. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Simply put, Belshazzar and his kingdom would be punished because they were prideful and didn't trust in the Lord. What's the application for us? Well, what about your life? If God weighed your life in his divine scales, what would he find? Well, we too would be found wanting. No one can live up to God's standards. No one can pass the test. Our hope, our only hope, is to humble ourselves and to come to Christ in the cross. His righteousness can be imputed to us. He can fill up in us what is lacking. Then if we have Christ, if his blood has cleansed us and his righteousness is on us, he's clothed us in white robes, then when we are weighed by God's divine scales, we will pass. Not because of ourselves, but because of Christ in us. So instead of thinking that we are good enough, we need to be humble and admit that we are not. Belshazzar was not. He was not repentant. He did not confess. He and his kingdom were weighed. And God says, you're lacking. Therefore, you're going to be judged. Daniel doesn't seem so sorry or upset as he was when he found out that that Nebuchadnezzar would be punished in chapter 4, verse 19. It seems he doesn't have the same close relationship with Belshazzar that he had with his grandfather. Now, the punishment was sent when Belshazzar's pride reached a climax. Let's look at Proverbs 16, 18. It says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Every kingdom in the history of the world has been found wanting. None of them have been perfect. And when man's pride comes in and says, I should get the glory for this, then God is not happy. And when we become prideful and say, what I have, my job, my career, my success, my family, my life, my house, my car, my book that I wrote, everything is because of me. Then God looks at that and he is displeased because we've not shown that we are humble and we are thanking him for the good that he's done in our life. The only kingdom that will never be found wanting is Christ's. The only person that will never be found wanting is Christ. So the only solution for us, since we and everything we have are lacking, is to come to Christ. So don't place your faith in your country or your political leaders. These are all lacking in God's sight. 
Now we also see here that Daniel, he didn't want the gifts, but he got them anyway. So sometimes you, you don't want the thing, but God will still let you receive it anyway. These were frivolous, they were unnecessary for him, but he still received them. So material words should not be our primary motivation. We trust in God's provision. We are seeking his kingdom and his righteousness first. He will provide for us. Moving forward to verse 30 and 31, we see the conclusion in this chapter. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. This very night, Belshazzar was killed. And as bad as that was, he was going to face judgment directly from God immediately. In that very night, he was going to have to give an answer to God for why he was desecrating the temple items, why he was defying God, why he was worshiping idols made by human hands. A sad end. But this is what happens to people who pridefully refuse to acknowledge God while they have the chance. He had the chance to repent when Daniel talked to him and he evidently did not. History tells us that this city, Babylon, fell through a brilliant military strategy. The river Euphrates was flowing under the city walls, bringing water into the city. <clears throat> and in most places, the walls were impregnable. But in one spot where, this, where the Euphrates flowed under the wall, there was this possibility, this opening. So the Persian and Mede armies lowered the water level by somehow diverting that and then they were able to go in under the city wall instead of trying to force their way through. Uh, Persian accounts tell us then that the city surrendered without a fight once their army was able to enter in this way. Uh, ancient accounts are not in total agreement about the details of it, but it is the case that this amazing, magnificent city fell so quickly. And that's true of, of anything we place our trust in. It can fall just in a day. You put all of your money into a savings account and you expect that will last you through retirement. Maybe it will be gone one day. You put your trust in in an insurance company or in your career or in your IRA account, these things may fall through. These things may not work as we hope them to. And even if they do, they are still temporary. Let us not put our faith and our trust in anything in this world. This miraculous one-day defeat of the impregnable city was brought about by God. And so Babylon fell as fast as it rose up. God lifted up Babylon to accomplish his purposes for disciplining Israel and teaching them not to be idol worshipers anymore. And then their mission was accomplished and they too would be punished by God for their sin and their defiance. Now in the book of Habakkuk, the prophet is very confused. He doesn't understand why is God going to use a wicked nation like Babylon to judge Israel? After all, Babylon is even more wicked than Israel is. But God's answer was that after he used Babylon to judge, to discipline Israel, then they too would be judged for their sin. So the rise and the fall of Babylon reminds us of God's sovereignty. Every kingdom, every leader, everything in this world that rises up will fall down too. Only God's kingdom is enduring. He's bringing his plan for the world to completion. His kingdom is the only one that will endure. So let us be part of God's kingdom. 
the eternal one. Let us invest our life and invest our time in God's kingdom because that is the one that endures forever. All the things around you will fade away except the things of God. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Are you building God's kingdom or your own? Are you giving glory to God for what he's done in your life or are you giving credit to yourself? In the coming week, consider how you can invest in God's enduring kingdom because that is the investment that will bear fruit for eternity. I hope that this study on Daniel chapter 5 was encouraging for you and I look forward to seeing you next time as we continue our study in the book of Daniel in chapter 6. Until then, God bless. To see our entire library of over 800 Bible studies, please visit our website at www.studyandobey.com.